This podcast is sponsored by our fine patrons. To find out how you can support the show, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Give a little, get a lot of podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. And today we are very excited to welcome onto the show, author Beth Cato. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so a, a lot of our listeners actually maybe first heard of you when we did a giveaway for, for the Clockwork Dagger um, several months ago. That was, that was a lot of fun. How has the response been to the book since, since the launch? Well, my second book just came out yesterday, so I'm still just kind of, you know, in this in this odd wonderland where I want to run around like, you know, Kermit the Frog flailing in delight. So it's just, it's been really exciting to see the response from readers. That's fantastic. Uh, if anyone doesn't know for some reason, uh, Beth lives in Buckeye, Arizona. Uh, I'm pulling this right off your website. So tell me if I, if, I'm, if I transcribed it wrong. Uh, outskirts of Phoenix. Family includes her husband, Jason, son, Nicholas, and an elder cat, Porum, originally from Hanford, California. And I understand you wear ruby slippers and tap your heels three times, and that's where you go by default. Yep. It's, home is always home to me. So we uh, got a lot of great questions from our audience members, but we wanted to start things off with a few questions from from us. Um, can you f tell us a little bit about the the Clockwork Dagger and the Clockwork Crown? What's the premise? What's going on in these stories? Who the heroes are? We'd love to hear about new worlds like this. Well, sure. Uh, the Clockwork Dagger started with a very simple premise. I wanted to do a steampunk take on Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. And I knew I wanted to have my protagonist be a woman healer. And the book built up from there. So initially, it's like a steampunk murder mystery that evolves around Octavia, who's a, a do-good healer. She's 22. She's worked most of her the past 10 years on the front lines of a war. And at this point, she's thinking, hey, peace has been declared. I'm going to go to a quiet village of my own, tend to people lead a good life and instead she finds out she's the target of kidnappers and assassination and she's embroiled in political intrigues that go back to 50 years and the reason why the war started to begin. So that's what happens in the first book and from there it goes on to Clockwork Crown where she and airship steward Alonzo Garrett have escaped into the wilderness and they're trying to survive. Now I'm a big fan uh, of the steampunk worlds, the steampunk genre, but what drew you to steampunk? Uh, and and if and in addition to that, tell us a little bit of who some of your favorites in the genre might be. Well, I like to use the hipster response. I like steampunk before it was cool or known as steampunk. Uh, I loved historical fiction as a kid. And, you know, Laurie Ingalls Wilder, Patricia Beatty, all those books. And then when I was uh, 11, 12 years old, I fell in love with Final Fantasy II for Super Nintendo, and that was my gateway to fantasy novels like Dragonlance and everything like that from there. And for me, steampunk combines what's awesome about historical fiction and fantasy. You get your mechanical beasts, you get your airships, you get bizarre inventions, magical creatures, I mean, everything is all in one. 
And as far as some of my favorites, Shri uh, Priest's Clockwork Century. I have to say that straight up. I loved uh, Goblin Emperor recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, Parasol Protectorate, of course. Class, you know, a lot of the, the classics of the genre. That's good. That makes me feel like I'm I'm more well versed in the genre than I actually thought I was because I've read all those authors. So that's like okay, actually I'm kind of down with the steampunk. That is that is good. I don't know if I can say I'm OG steampunk, perhaps like like you are, but you know at least I I've got my my classics down, and that's the important part. But yeah, we just actually finished the Goblin Emperor as a book club pick, and and we all really loved it. Um, it was so different from, I think, uh, you know, typical fantasy novels that we've read in the past, especially since there's so much court intrigue going on. Um, but something that we've always been kind of arguing about in the forums is, is steampunk more sci-fi or is it more fantasy? And, and where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? I've heard you refer to it as fantasy. So I'm guessing that may be where, where your tastes lie, but what do you think? Well, the fun thing, fun and the complicated thing about steampunk is it's so cross-genre that it can go either way. It really depends on where the author takes it. It can be more heavily into the technology and more science fiction oriented or go more into pure mystery mode or it can be post-apocalyptic and go heavier into that. Or mine is a secondary world that's based on World War One era Europe and it relies a lot more, I consider it more of a epic fantasy cross with steampunk and historical fiction. Now, moving back to the uh, the clockwork dagger, uh, uh, healers often take a back seat. We see this in role-playing games. We, we see it in books. Uh, they're just patching everyone up, and they don't always get the glory. What drew you to making the healer front and center? That's a very personal obsession of mine. Going back again to Final Fantasy II, I loved the character of Rosa, and I wanted to be Rosa. I, you know, if I could have chosen my superpower I, at that age, it's like, okay, it's like, you know, kids now, they want their letter to Hogwarts. I wanted to be a white wizard. I wanted to heal people. A few months before I found the game, my grandpa died after a prolonged terminal illness. So for me, I mean, there was no, nothing greater than being able to heal people. So from that point onward, all through my teens, when I played Dungeons and Dragons, or if I played any role-playing game, I was the cleric. I was the priestess in the party, the white wizard, whatever the game called it. So it was always my private Mary Sue fantasy in my head. And I always wanted to find books that encouraged that and used that and made that into the hero, and I never found it. So after a lot of years, I was like, hey, I'm going to start writing again. I'm going to write the heroine that I always wanted to find. And I first wrote uh, an urban fantasy about superheroes and my main character was a healer and that's what connected me with my agent and that book didn't end up selling and then my next effort was Clockwork Dagger and I was like hey I still want to write about a healer character this time I'll do it with magic. So is that the main way that she's different from other heroines we may see in these kind of genres? What, what, what sets her apart from other heroes in these types of stories? Well she's definitely against violence for the most part. She'll defend herself if necessary but it's a last resort. She really gets by a lot on her wits, and her compassion is both a strength and a vulnerability. And like, you know, it's not easy to write a main character who's a healer because you do have to balance things a particular way. They have to be strong, they have to have agency, but they have to be true to their calling too. 
It's funny to think that the healer hasn't risen to the fore in at least a more, you know, some genre books before now, because you look at television and, and it's filled with medical stories, you know, and it's all about doctors saving lives. Uh, so it's it's good to see the healer. Uh, I'm, I guess I, I'm just saying thank you for, for giving the healer its due. Well, thank you. I mean, it's nice. And it's nice to see people respond to that so profoundly. And they're like, wow, yeah, I never, some people just tell me I never realized that they're always the sidekick. They just, you know, it's so entrenched in the genre that you take it for granted. And, you know, I'm kind of even thinking in, in video games, some people, I mean, I've been playing role-playing games for as long as I can remember, and I'm never the healer, but you always really, I mean, you want a healer to be there. It's always something you can't, you can't do a raid without a healer. You can't do an instance. You can't do any kind of battle without at least one healing class in your party. And I don't really, you know, I'm having a hard time thinking about a lot of the fantasy and epic fantasy that I've read. And maybe there is a white wizard, maybe there's someone who has those types of abilities, but it's not really a dedicated class in in, in fantasy novels the way that it's such a dedicated class in in fantasy video games. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not designated in that way. Um, so this is this is interesting for me. I, I haven't yet read the books, but I love that idea that, you know, that particular class is really getting its due. Well, thank you. And yeah, I think urban fantasy, you tend to see more of a dedicated doctor as like a side character because the characters get so battered someone has to try and mm -hmm. keep them alive so it's like okay we go to this doctor they patch us up then off we go again to you know almost die <laughs> yeah it, it makes me wonder why someone hasn't done a hogwarts for hospitals essentially there's a good idea yeah. that is a good idea tom maybe you should write that NaNoWriMo coming yeah. up <laughs> someday i'll learn to write and then I'll do that. Uh, speaking of, of, of talking to authors, a lot of authors don't even like to be interviewed. So first of all, thank you for, for talking with us. Uh, but you actually interview authors on your blog. What inspired you to do that? Uh, it's kind of going full circle. It's, you know, I have a lot, you know, most of my friends are authors and it's like, hey, we try and help each other out. I mean, that's the whole thing. I try and encourage a lot of writers who are just starting out or seeking an agent or just in different parts of the process because it's a hard journey and hey we any help that you can give or get it's a worthwhile effort yeah and i think it's inspirational to people who also want to learn to write you know uh, mm -hmm. to see authors talking to other authors and start to realize, hey, they're just human beings like the rest of us. Uh, they, they just dedicated a lot of time and energy uh, to something they love to do. Yeah, I agree and I think, I know when I first started following author blogs and all that around like 2007, 2008, it was very eye-opening to me because I always had this idea that they were so good that they didn't have to do multiple drafts. You know, this whole fantasy land concept of authors and what their job was. And, you know, I started following, you know, Jay Lake's blog and, you know, C. Murphy. And I realized, no, they're in there suffering through drafts just like anyone. And it was, you know, it helped me a lot when I was starting out. I'm still always very impressed that authors actually have the time to blog. I look at someone, you know, like Scalzi or Chuck Wendig, and I'm like, how do you even have all those words in your brain? Like, is your head just a massive, like, wormhole of information? Because if I'm doing something like, you know, 
Tom and I both attempt NaNoWriMo every year to varying degrees of success, as we've mentioned. Um, but when I'm in the midst of that, I can't, I don't have time for anything else. Like all my free moments is dedicated to getting those, you know, what is it, 1,667 words down on the page every day. And that's, that's all I got. That's all I got to give. But I guess once you get used to the process and, and you know, having your novel writing time versus your blogging time versus your reading Twitter time versus your making dinner time, it all, it all comes together a little bit more easily. Yeah, it's a lot of time management, especially when I am working on a book like that and there's a, a high word count goal. And I find that I'll use my blogging time as almost like a, a reward or a break after finishing a project. Like, you know, I'll work really intensely on a short story for like four or five days and then I'll have a day where all I do is work on my ready or not recipe posts and I might get two or three posts put together. And it's like, okay, now I can, now it's like, okay, now I can start on revisions on what I just worked on. Well, you know, we weren't going to get to this question until later, but I think now is actually a really good time because you, you mentioned it. Uh, Mary, one of our listeners, uh, says, given how much you talk about food and writing, I'm curious which of your fudge or cookie recipes Octavia and Alonzo would enjoy the most and why? <laughs> yeah, it, in the world of the clockwork dagger, I, have, I mentioned that Octavia loves chocolate, and I also mention a lot of maple sweets because it's the geography of the area is based on western Washington state. Hmm. So there's a area called Frangia to the north that develops a lot of maple. So there are a lot of maple pastries, maple sweets mentioned. So I kind of think, you know, what would they both like? And another theme in the books is cheese. The gremlins love cheese, and then in Clockwork Crown, there's a, a bit of fun banter with Octavia and Alonzo about you know, the, the joy of a good hard cheese. And I think Alonzo doesn't favor sweets as much as Octavia, but I think they'd find middle ground with like a baked brie. Mm. Yeah. That would have the brie and then have like a an apple butter and maybe a little bit of maple mixed in with that. And then pecans and then fold up the pastry over that and bake it up. Oh, if you you're get, killing me. If you sell enough clockwork novels can you open a clockwork cafe that we can go eat at because that sounds delicious a cookbook at least a themed cookbook we have the um the in at the crossroads cookbook for for game of thrones for example i think you you've got some recipes right there those are chapters one and two perfect yeah it's funny you mentioned that on twitter earlier today i actually mentioned i should maybe i should put together a little cookbook because i did a, a maple crisps recipe today that i was thinking okay i'm trying to do a little series for later on this year that's you know clockwork dagger recipes that's and bad. yeah so I, maybe the, i'll actually do something with that and do a little cookbook i'm in you got you got one buyer right here you got two definitely right out of the gate <laughs> Uh, Caitlin uh, wrote us a question on Goodreads, says, I really like hearing whether an author has a specific soundtrack they listen to while writing their books. Can, uh, can Do you have music that you listen to when you write? When I was doing the rough draft for Clockwork Crown, I was doing a lot of like Mumford and Sons, Bruce Hornsby, you know, music like that. And, but then I had one particular song that really kind of became the theme song for the whole book. Uh, at the time, uh, we're season ticket holders for the Arizona Coyotes hockey team. And in their opening little, you know, rev up, oorah sequence, they were using part of the song. And I was like, man, the song is intense. I, I've got to find out what it is. And it was The Pretender by Foo Fighters. Hmm. Oh. And it's this uh, very intense, defiant, angry song 
and the music video for it's fabulous because it's like the band is up against these uh, armed cops who are going to take them down. And for me, it really became Octavia's theme because through the book, she goes through hell and she really has to be defiant and has to work through anger to defend who she is and where she wants her future to go. All right, and our final question, by the way, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan, so I'm definitely putting a link to that YouTube video in the blog post because they are my favorite. They're awesome. So awesome. That, that, is, that is super cool. Um, our final question from the audience comes from Jared, who says, how do you respond to people who feel like the Clockwork series is inspired by The Giving Tree or books like that? <laughs> I don't well, know if that's a joke or not or if, <laughs> if there's a reference in there I'm missing. I, 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 yeah, I think I think he's having fun with it. Well, the thing with the Giving Tree is, I that book always kind of drove me batty because I, I felt so bad for the tree. It gets brutalized yeah. and used, and and I think in a way, if I try and take the question a little bit seriously, I think Clockwork Dagger is like the antithesis of the Giving Tree because I have a world tree called the Lady, who's the the source of Octavia's healing power. And it's a very, you find out it's a very temperamental world tree. So this is a tree that's not going to just be used and discarded. It's going to put up a fight. It's the taking tree. It's the, yeah, it's the, taking, it's the tree. taking back tree. <laughs> yeah. It's the don't mess with me tree. Yeah. Well, Beth, thank you so much for joining us on our interview today. So the second book is already out. Uh, is there going to be a third in the trilogy that you're working on? Or what else is going on in that universe now? Well, I don't have other books within that universe in the works, but I do have ebooks that will be coming out through Harper Voyager Impulse. The first uh, is a short story, The Deepest Poison. It came out in April. And then I'll have a novella out later this year and then another short story next April. So there will be more within the world that's coming out. Very cool. And is that something you want to stay in? Do you do you like writing in this world or are you, sometimes authors feel like they need to experiment in other genres or try different things. Do you, do you have that kind of sense or do you love this world right now? Well, I do love this world and I'm not opposed to writing more novels in it. I do have another steampunk series in the works that takes place on Earth. So I'll be able to talk a lot more about that soon. Intriguing. Ooh, I feel like we got a little information tidbit there. <laughs> Love that stuff. And where can everyone follow your work online? Uh, BethCato.com. That's B-E-T-H-C-A-T-O. And yeah, they can go there and find every Wednesday I post recipes and I have a bibliography with all my short stories and poetry and chicken soup stories and everything else. I'm going to be looking for that maple cookie crisp recipe or, or whatever the one you're talking about. And if it's not there, it better be there on Wednesday. Or I'm well, it's not, disappointed. It, it won't be there right away, but I do, I do love maple. So you, you will find a lot of maple recipes tagged on there already. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so go, folks. Uh, if you haven't read Clockwork Dagger, buy that and then buy Clockwork Crown. Uh, and if you have any money left over, don't forget our show is entirely funded by our patrons at <laughs> patreon.com slash sword and laser. Uh, thanks to everybody who backs us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. And of course, you can also support the show by picking up some books through our links. Head over to swordandlaser.com slash picks. You'll find books that we talked about on this episode, books from our author guest, Beth Cato, as well as many other books that we've talked about throughout the years. Uh, so thank you for supporting Sword and Laser. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at sword and laser. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And you can always call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. Thank you, Beth. Beth so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.
Bye, everybody. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.